Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, where we are covering two chapters per episode in these audiobook episodic series. Um, in episode 6, we pretty much looked at Spalding the whole time. Spalding was in the butcher shop, uh, ended up talking with uh, Father Isaac. And Father Isaac had all sorts of words to share about uh, just life in general, and he seemed a little off, like he was losing his faith. Spalding believed he saw a redhead in the window of the butcher shop, too, walking down the street. A redhead who he hadn't seen in a while. So he's a little concerned. A ghost from the past. And in the following chapter, Spalding was going to talk to his girls a bit about death, because Rowan had talked to him about um, Lilith talking about the dead rodent from earlier that Louise and Lisa were poking, and Spalding thought it'd be a good idea for his girls to get a little more familiar with it and come to the butcher shop. Penny had none of it. They got into a fight. Penny uh, was saying that they don't want the girls close to death and flesh and all that because that's what Uncle Knox did in the basement with bodies of people. So they got into a fight. Uh, The girls didn't know what's going on, but it was a good sign of parenting. And uh, ultimately, Penny and Spalding decided that they needed to set up a date to meet the Connors and have the girls interact with other kids their age. That's where we left off. So let's jump into chapter 13 and see where this goes. Chapter 13 Partners Dusk approached. The children went to bed, while the adults carried on with Rutherford Manor's most grisly tasks. The work that had been pushed aside till late in the night for the youth didn't need to know. Spalding found himself on the veranda, lighting a cigarette. He needed to gather his thoughts before talking with Knox. His head was still rattled from arguing with Penny earlier. For close to a decade and a half, Knox had gone on with the government contract. On the one hand, they needed the cash to raise the girls. On the other hand, they needed to raise the girls correctly so they would become functional adults. Parenting was never a cushy task. Wonder where Billy is, Spalding thought, taking a deep drag. He exhaled letting the smoke leave his lungs, staring at the road that led away from Rutherford Manor. Usually Billy would be back by dusk. That would be a good opportunity to talk to Knox. The man was always in a better mood when Billy brought him a new body. Maybe Fight Club after this. Spalding could use a night of throwing fists. After that discussion with Penny, he needed to unwind a lick. Maybe not. It was late. He probably wouldn't make it to the club in time. That redhead, Spalding thought, recalling the woman he'd spotted for a fleeting second outside the butcher shop. Who was she? He had to have imagined her. If she was real, and who he thought she was, she would be at Fight Club. Father? came a young girl's voice. Spalding turned to see Lisa walking sheepishly over to him. Lisa, dear, you should be in bed. It is late. Think of what your mother will say. I know, Lisa said, coming to stand beside Spalding's chair. Well? I just had a question. Go on, then. You're at home. You can express your thoughts here safely. 
Well, I have feelings that I'm not sure what they are. It involves someone else. Spaulding raised an eyebrow. Is it a boy? He knew exactly what Lisa was talking about. The girl wasn't good at keeping secrets. Yeah, how did you know? Call it father's intuition. Tell me about this boy. His name is Samuel. He's very friendly, nice, funny, and he seems to want to spend time with me. He makes me feel different than other boys. Lisa pointed at her chest. It starts here, like a small fire. Ah, yes, Spaulding said. Sounds like you're experiencing your first romantic interest. Lisa's eyes widened. She didn't know what to say. She simply waited to hear what wisdom her father had to give. Spaulding always enjoyed seeing the wonder in his girl's eyes when he gave them worldly insight. You like this boy? Lisa nodded. Romantic feelings can be tricky, sometimes deceiving. It is also one of the best emotions you can experience. Often it leads to love. Sometimes it is passion disguised as romance. Am I in love? She asked. No, I highly doubt that you are. You know when you are in love. It feels unlike anything else. Crushes are fun, though. This is probably a crush. I get nervous. I don't often see boys or any other kids. That's part of the thrill. You'll grow to like it. And as you live life, you will want to explore these feelings and seize the moment when you can. Spaulding rubbed his chin. I'm telling her to live like I did, he realized. Enjoy your moment with them. Sometimes life has a funny way of separating you from that person later. So, uh, embrace it. Lisa didn't say anything, then nodded. She smiled, seeming a little more relaxed. Okay, thank you, father. Anytime, Spaulding said while flicking out his cigarette. Come here. He reached out to hug his daughter. Lisa went up to him, letting him give her a big squeeze. Now get to bed before your mother finds out. Okay, Lisa agreed tiptoeing back to the house. He stopped right in front of the doorway, where Knox stood in his buttoned vest and black pants. Great Uncle Knox, good night, Lisa said. I'm off to bed. Knox nodded. Of course, it is late for little girls. Good night. Lisa smiled as she walked past him. Knox stepped over to Spaulding who realized how uncommon it was these days to see him without his bloody apron and hideous mask on. He must be done for the day, Spaulding thought, strangely early for his usual schedule. They grow up fast, Knox said. Yeah, Spaulding said. I honestly don't know where the years have gone. Sometimes I think of myself as that young man, with you trying to keep the manor together. The unscarred side of Knox's face smirked. Yes, I too think of that constantly. And so much has changed, for the better. Yet, I find myself longing for those times. Spaulding reached into his coat pocket for a cigarette tin. He popped it open and handed one to Knox. Want one? Knox took a cigarette as Spaulding flicked the match and held it up for his business partner. They both inhaled deeply, smoking as they watched the sun disappear below the trees. Now I'm a father of two teenage girls, Spaulding said. You seem to enjoy it, Knox said. Yeah, 
Spaulding said. I just want what's best for them. If that requires me working day in and day out at the butcher shop, so be it. Understandable. What about you and Lilith? Kids in the picture? I'm not sure if that's our path. We are both driven by other motives. I, I have to admit, the environment we live in at Rutherford Manor is not suitable for children. How come? Your kids are savages. This is natural for them. I know, I just don't want them to get hurt. Is that why you desire such a simple life? You're better than a butcher shop. Precisely. I know it's just a cover-up. A mundane one at that. Lilith does a good job of taking care of them when Penny is busy. No, that's not so much the problem. I just don't want them to get into the family business, you know? Butchery seems too close. Knox puffed on his cigarette, listening. Everything going well with your study? Spaulding asked. It's moving slowly. Mr. Sewell has opened some smaller projects that we can move along quicker. That is taking up most of my time. The solution for the military is complicated. I'd say. I'm sure anyone who has attempted to find the elixir of life has gone insane. Are they pleased with progress? Mr. Sewell's higher up? I believe so. We're still working on enhancing soldiers, making them immune to pain. The solution has several different strands, now for different purposes. It's challenging as I have to rely purely on my wit and previous knowledge. Knox finished his cigarette. Spaulding was only half done. The man must be stressed, he thought. Knox flicked the butt over the veranda and sighed. You said you still think back to being a young man. I think back to my father. I wonder if Alistair would be proud of his legacy. I'm sure he would be, Spaulding said. You've successfully managed to maintain Rutherford Manor. We've never had to sink to the depths that your father and I sunk to before. You should be proud. Thank you, Knox said. His response seemed automatic, like he didn't fully believe it. Something in Knox was telling him that he just wasn't good enough for his father's legacy. It had to be the experimentation he was working on. Knox was chasing a very dangerous dream. Have you seen Billy? Knox asked. No, can't say I have. Usually he's back by now. I know, that is why I'm curious. By now he'd have a new corpse. He seems to be distracted as of late. Knox cleared his throat. That aside, I have a proposition for you, Spaulding. Spaulding finished his smoke. Oh? Spaulding hadn't expected this. It's in regards to 
Billy's inconsistent delivery of bodies. I think he's tired, Knox said. He works two jobs. You've also been at the butcher shop for well over a decade. It hasn't really grown much yet. It is stable. I think it's time we expand into the other avenues of revenue. That's the sound I like, Spalding thought. I think we're on the same page. What did you have in mind? He could only hope that Knox wanted to give up experimentation. Unlikely. I was trying to solve this myself. How can I get more corpses without causing too much of a ruckus? Billy can only work as fast as one man can hunt. Not much different than when he snatched bodies. Then I asked, where are there a lot of bodies? Spalding chuckled. A morgue? A funeral home. We are familiar with the dead. People die all the time. It would be a new line of steady revenue. I understand that the government contract offers a lot right now, but it shouldn't be our only source of income. Lilith is also looking to other revenue options. Better to expand our business options than regret the consequences. A funeral home. Spalding said, holding his arms. Thinking I could run it? Spalding guessed this would be the case. He couldn't see Billy wanting to run one of those. Funeral homes required a level of formality, a personal touch, yet not too close. People were grieving their dead loved ones. Billy was never very affectionate to strangers. Yes, Knox said. If you'd like to accept this proposal... I'd be more than happy to work with you on this new venture. Well, I, I do know a gentleman in real estate. He could probably help us again to get the land. We must figure out all the details of how to run a funeral home. Can't see it being too difficult. Neither can I. And your skills would complement it well. You're quite welcoming to new people. Something I lack. That's true. Spalding was slightly thrown off by Knox's forthcoming proposal. It had come so far out of the left field. Although Knox had always liked to ponder over an idea in his mind before approaching someone with it. He wasn't a collaborative person. When Knox had an idea, he would bring it to you and would be fully thought out down to every detail. In a way, Knox was a lot like his father, Alistair, a man of many secrets. Regardless, Spalding was used to dealing with surprises from the Fleshers. This time, Knox's surprise happened to be a good one. You have time to think about it, Knox said. I just wanted to run it by you, which I, I think the more we explore different industries, the better we will be. Rutherford Manor is expanding with the addition of your two girls growing up. They will eventually marry, and who knows who else will come to the manor in that time. 
You raise a good proposal, Mr. Flusher, Spaulding said, holding out his hand. We'll figure out the details. We always do. Knox reached over and shook Spaulding's hand firmly. Spaulding was pleased with Knox's forthcoming thinking. They had had disagreements in the past, especially when the girls were born. Spaulding and Penny had been worried about the nature of Rutherford Manor, not to mention Spaulding's uncertainty over his fatherly role. And Knox had been frazzled back then, opening a new contract. Now, it was time for something new. Rutherford Manor always evolved to stay alive. It was what they did. The savages and fleshers united, pursuing new ventures. Chapter 14 Mature Today was a big day, a favorite for Lisa and Louise. They were going to the town of Rowley. The two spent so much time at Rutherford Manor that any time away was exciting. If it wasn't for church, of course. There was so much to see in town. People working, buildings, other kids, new items and strange things like horseless mechanical wagons, and they'd heard that, apparently, there were bigger cities with even more wonders. Louise couldn't even imagine what it would be like to see a metropolis. She thought those cities must be an endless sea of wonder and countless possibilities. Can we stay in Rowley all day? Lisa asked. Louise stared off into the forest as she sat on the wagon while Lisa nagged their mom, who managed the horse. Louise was listening to the conversation. She just found the trees more interesting to look at. The wilderness was another place of wonder. She loved exploring the woods. Unfortunately, mom and father were not fond of anything beyond the familiar. Metropolises and the woods were often off-limits. They preferred to shelter Louise and Lisa at home. We won't be long, Mom said, keeping her gaze on the road. I'll be leaving you with the midwives. Once I'm done, we're going home. Okay, Lisa said. Can we go to Chicago? Louise said. What? Mom was thrown off by the question. No, we are going to Rowley. I know, Louise said. I mean another time. Yeah, I would love to see the city. Lisa said, bopping up and down. Stay in your seat, Mom said. We're not going to Chicago. Father likes to talk about it, Louise said. He used to go there all the time with our great-great-grandpa. Great-great-grandpa Alistair, right? Lisa asked. Enough, please, Mom said. No Chicago. Maybe another day. You'll be spending time with the midwives. They'll show you some exciting things today, okay? Okay, Lisa said, frowning. Louise frowned too. They were thinking the same thing. Chicago would be way more thrilling than Rowley. But at least they did not have to stay indoors. They got to be outside. Rowley was still good. Plus, the midwives always had interesting things to show them. The girls hadn't seen them much of late. Mom had been focused on showing them a lot of household chores so they would be good women when they grew up. Apparently, they were obligated to please a man when they became adults. Boring. The horse trotted along the path, leading them into the town of Rowley. They had done this journey plenty of times in the past. Louise liked to watch the trees and imagine that she was running through the forest, following the wagon. It was a silly game she enjoyed that didn't have a lot of meaning. It allowed her imagination to run wild. 
If she couldn't be in the forest right now, she could pretend to be. Maybe she could find animals in her imaginary running game. Her attention was brought to a small, battered-up home just off the trail of the main road. An axe was stuck in a tree stump out front of the house, and grey feathers were scattered on the ground. There's Killer Danny's house, Louise said, looking at Lisa. Lisa shivered. Yuck, she said. Girls, Mum said, have some respect for the elders. Killer Annie doesn't need respect, Lisa said. Yeah, Louise said. She kills things all the time. Look at those feathers. No, she doesn't, Mum said. Don't be silly. Call her by her last name, too. Miss Vaughn. That is the polite thing to do. She kills things, Louise said quietly to Lisa. The two girls giggled. Her sister knew exactly what Louise was talking about. The girls had never seen an animal there more than one time. Whether it was a dog, a cat, or a chicken, they all disappeared. Sure, the animals could have run away, but that was unlikely behavior for dogs and chickens. The girls knew Annie was a killer. After the excitement of seeing Killer Annie's home, the wagon reached the outskirts of Rowley. People were busily moving through the streets. Other wagons carefully navigated the road as people crossed by. Adults went about their business. Some children were playing outside near the school. The school that Louise and Lisa never got to go to. Look, there are the normies, Lisa said, pointing to the school as they rode by. Don't point, Mom said. It's rude. Why can't we go to school again? Lisa asked. All the other kids do. Don't bother. Louise said. We've been through this, Lisa, Mum said. It's best for you to learn from your relatives and your parents. We know what's good for you and your sister. Why don't you guys open a school then? Louise asked. Because we want to focus on you and your sister. Louise didn't buy it. She did when she was younger, but not anymore. For some reason, her parents didn't like normal school. Maybe it was because of Great Uncle Knox's face. Chances were Louise wouldn't know the answer until she was an adult, if ever. Adults kept secrets and only shared them with other adults. That damn secret club. Look, Lisa said to Louise. She was pointing to a vehicle driving by. The sight of a mechanical wagon moving without an animal pulling it was entrancing. The sputtering noise of the engine. Wow, Louise thought. They were living in such amazing times. Seeing inventions like that in real life, the horseless wagon was exactly why Louise and Lisa wanted to go to Chicago. In the city, there were more fantastic inventions, like electric street lamps. Mom guided the wagon to the butcher shop where father worked. She stationed the horse out back and the twins got out of the wagon. Come girls, Mom said while waiting for the girls to follow her. They walked from around the back of the shop to the main road. Can we see father? Lisa asked. Yeah, maybe he is a dead pig, Louise added. No, not right now, Mum said sternly. We're going to the grocery store. Louise snuck up to Lisa and whispered, It's because of the fight yesterday. She glanced to see if Mum had heard, but she gave no indication she had. Good. Louise and Lisa were effective at keeping their own secrets too. Take that, adults. My, my, 
What a surprise to see three beautiful ladies in town today. A voice boomed. The three looked ahead in the direction it had come from and spotted a tall man with slicked back hair walking toward them. Mr. Connors. He smiled at them as he casually moved out of the crowd. Mr. Connors, Mom said, out for a stroll. Not quite. I just gave a donation to the town hall. They want to update their pothole-riddled streets. I suppose they are a bit old. Progress is inevitable, he extended his hand. It's a pleasure seeing you here. What brings you to town? He asked. Mama smiled. We're doing some chores. I thought it'd be good to take the girls into town. They needed to get out. Of course. It's healthy to meet new people. They're of an age where they're maturing and need new experiences. Tell me about it, Mum said. I'm glad I ran into you. My husband and I were discussing setting a date to take you up on your dinner invitation. Mr. Connors extended his arm out. That sounds wonderful. What works for you? You will be our guest after all. Spalding works at the shop during the day. Evenings are free, Mum said. How about this Sunday? Mr. Connors asked. The missus and I have our hands full until then. Let's make it a date then, Mum said with a smile. A hand tapped Louise. She looked over to see Lisa. Tag, you're it, Lisa said. Lisa, Louise said, don't. You know Mom doesn't like it when we run around in town. So? You like an adventure? Lisa ran away with a mischievous grin on her face. The sudden sprint caught Mum's attention. Her lips tightened. Eyebrows flat. Fury. Lisa Savage, back here now, Mum frowned at Mr. Connors. I'm so sorry, forgive me. By all means, Mr. Connors said, extending his hand in Lisa's direction. Mom sighed and stormed off toward Lisa. Lisa, she called out. Louise stayed put. Usually, she was the troublemaker, but she had grown wiser when it came to Mom's wrath. She knew the wrath of her parents. Getting caught made you aware of the boundaries of your existence. It also meant that when you wanted to cause trouble, you had to be more cunning. Lisa hadn't learned that yet. She would soon. Running is for kids, isn't it? Mr. Connors said. His commanding voice startled Louise. Yeah, I suppose. People don't do that. Mr. Connors stared at her. It comes with maturity. Louise remained quiet. She wasn't sure if she was more mature than Lisa. They were the same age, so they couldn't be that different. Believe me, Louise, maturity has nothing to do with age. That is a strong characteristic, Mr. Connor said. It was like he was reading her mind. Thank you, Mr. Connors, Louise said, touching her hair self-consciously. She was unsure what else to say. She felt silly. Most adults didn't talk to Louise one-on-one. -on -one. It was a nice change. Kids and boys her age were often too goofy. They said stupid things and ran like wild dogs. But Mr. Connors wanted to talk to her. It was as if she was part of the secret adult club. Please, call me Maxwell, Mr. Connors said. Louise felt sheepish, still playing with her hair. She wasn't even sure what she was doing right now. She felt light. A humming sensation went through her body. Nervousness. She looked away, 
spotting three women standing under the shade of the grocery store's canopy, the midwives. They stared directly at her and Mr. Connors. They didn't move. They only watched. Don't do that again, Mom scolded as she dragged Lisa back to the group. I'm sorry, Mom, Lisa said. You're hurting me. Mom swung Lisa forward, letting her go in the process. She let out a sigh. Sorry, Mr. Connors. Children. Believe me, I know, Mr. Connors said. He took a slight bow. Ladies, I must get back to work. You must excuse me. By all means, Mom said. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was all mine, Mr. Connors said as he stood up, glancing over at Louise for one quick moment. I'll see you all at church on Sunday. Of course, Mum said. The three continued on their way to the grocery store where the midwives stood. The whole interaction had been confusing to Louise. It didn't help with the midwives watching, either. Louise wasn't used to being talked to by adults as an equal. The experience was new which was part of the joy of coming into town. Are we going to have dinner with the Connors? Louise asked. That's right, Mom said. That's right, Mom said. We're scheduled in for next Sunday. Could we have dinner with the Wainwrights? Lisa asked. Mom laughed. One thing at a time. Louise rolled her eyes. Of course Lisa would say that. She just wanted to see the funny-toothed Samuel boy. That's all he was, she thought. A boy. Kids just caused trouble all the time. Louise loved to get herself into trouble and play in the forest too, but that came from a sense of exploration. Adults were explorers. That was why people were here in the new world in the first place. Maybe that was what Lisa was, an explorer. She liked the sounds of it. It was a code name that adults used in their secret club for playing in the forest. Maybe maturity was simply a bunch of code names and everyone was a kid on the inside. And that is the end of episode 7 with chapters 13 and 14. Looks like uh, Knox and Spaulding are onto new endeavors with a new business, a funeral home, so they can probably get more bodies. Yeah, because uh, Knox is going full force with that government contract. Spaulding could probably use a change. He's seeming uh, a little tense and uh, stale. And of course, Lisa and Louise are growing up and things are looking a little weird for them. Yeah, they're in that awkward age, so things are odd. And uh, that Mr. Connors, that was a weird interaction. wonder what that's about. Guess we got to find out in the next episode next week. And if you can't wait, definitely grab the book on Amazon or wait till uh, episode 8 comes out. Also, feel free to check out my Patreon that launched in February with monthly short stories and uh, a copy of Into the Macrocosm, which is my short story collection. So until next week, take care, and I'll see you then. Ciao.